Space, the final frontier. These are the parables of the Starship Enterprise. Sacred Trek's continuing mission to seek out new understanding of ourselves and one another boldly takes us to Star Trek, the next generation. Season one, episode seven, Justice. Hello and welcome to Sacred Trek, everybody, the podcast that engages in community around the parables of Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your host, Kent Altman, and this is Christina Hartfield, our executive producer. Hi, Christina. How's it going today? Good. It's good. (laughs) I feel like usually I say great. Today it's good. (laughs) Good is good. With us tonight on our Sacred Trek, we have Nicole. Hi, Nicole. Hey. And Carissa. (laughs) Hi, Carissa. Hey, how's it going? And we have Nisa. Hi, Nisa. Hi. And we have Mark. Hi, Mark. Hello. All right. Are we ready to get started? Yes. Let's do this. What is this episode again? This is called <laughs> Justice. Justice. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Kent, read us a parable. Uh, Starfleet assigns the explorer Picard the mission to colonize an uninhabited world near the Rubicon system. And while doing so, the Enterprise stumbles upon a society that engages in a culture of pleasure, one that might provide rest and relaxation for the crew. But while checking the planet out to be sure the crew will be safe, they peel back the layers of the Edo to discover the reason behind the apparent idyllic tranquility to be predicated on an execution as punishment for every crime. When Wesley Crusher unwittingly breaks a law in a punishment zone, Picard must face his most difficult question yet. Do the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few? Dun, dun, dun. Sorry, I had to be done again. (laughs) 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 Can we just say that we had, you know, one alien species that were completely black and now we have an entire alien species, which are blonde and super fit. Exactly. Yes, they it's are gross. Yes. They run for fun. That's, <laughs> That's how you know they're alien. <laughs> yes, Nisa. There's no way I would last more than five minutes at that place got running everywhere. I'd be like, y'all, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be back up on the ship. This is too much. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really interesting thing to bring up because I definitely, when I was watching it, got a lot of this, here's a perfect body. And it's a bunch of blonde-haired, blue-eyed white people. and right. Super white. And they also had this peaceful, happy, joyful, everything's wonderful is what they had attained. Stepford. Yeah, you're right. It was kind of gross. Bizarre. But one thing that I did appreciate was that the men were just as scantily clad as the women. I appreciate that. That That was like, okay, we have equality somewhere. (laughs) Yes. There's definitely some weird stuff that this is saying. And kind of one of the themes for me of this episode is that safety for some people does not equal peace and tranquility for everyone. And you see that because 
there are people who have lost life for the Edo to exist this way. Who are the people who are not there? Who have they killed? Well, it's interesting because they made reference to that. In fact, at the end, one of the mediators said, if if you could just see what happened to get us to this point, what we went through to get to this level of peace or whatever it is, they're calling it, um, there's so much behind that. I want to know more about that. Yes. You're right, Kent. There were probably a lot of people that lost their lives in order for them to evolve to the point where nobody's breaking the rules. Right. Is that evolution or is that control? They called it evolution, but it's silencing the outliers. Mm -hmm. You know, those who had different ideas or philosophies or a way of doing things if they felt like they didn't want to stay outside of the punishment zones or the white lines. Mm -hmm. They also didn't even think to tell them it was such a way of life that they had no idea they should even share with their visitors. Mm -hmm. Hey, by the way, if you step over that fence, you're going to die. You know, she looked genuinely confused by, oh, you didn't know that. Yeah. It didn't even occur to me. And with right. Wesley, they figured it out way too late and then were devastated. But right. Yeah. They obviously don't have visitors. Right. I mean, that seemed to be apparent that nobody had been there. And that's because in orbit above the planet, there's this half visible guardian alien entity that is watching over them and that they consider to be a god or godlike or in control of them in many ways. And that is where the danger actually comes from to the people of the Enterprise. Otherwise, there'd be no danger at all. Right. I mean, not really. They could have just taken Wesley and gone. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, then they'd only be wrestling with their conscience mm -hmm. and their own set of rules, not with the possibility of retribution in any fashion. So you have to assume that whatever that entity is, that the Edo believed to be their god, had a great deal to do with this organization of their rules and how they are meant to follow them and the fact that every rule is arbitrary because remember these zones that capital punishment can take place in happen randomly right well and when the child was on the ship the second she had a glimpse of god out the window i mean on the knees mm -hmm. like felt that reverence like she was towards terrified her. yeah definitely set up for that and then had enough nerve to say to picard like you're a god too like i was up there with you you know so Do you think that this godlike entity is the one who created the mandates or the way of society or do you think it's that these people are the ones that created this society in response to this god entity i don't think that we know okay. i don't think that they really give that information but one way it is being imposed the other way it's being allowed right either way it's obviously extreme. True. And as we were talking about, a lot of people had to die right. in order for everybody to accept that this is going to happen because they accept it with a smile almost. I mean, they're like, oh, that's so sad. That's sad. <laughs> die. But let's get it over with because then we can go back to, right. you know, running. <laughs> <laughs> right, to running. Yay. I thought it was so weird that they were so quick, that the Starfleet were so quick to trust them. It seemed like the first planet that we've encountered or species that we've encountered they're just like hey we're gonna go down there and we trust them implicitly it was yeah. to me, it was i was like every other one's been like we are suspicious True. we kind of know a little bit about your customs but this one was like we accept you because you have sex and we because <laughs> you're almost naked right yeah. it, that seemed odd to me <laughs> 
Well, this is also the most attractive race, too, that they've run into. Like, you know, it's been like snake people. Snake people. And cat people. Yeah. And Ferengi. And and then Ferengi and black people. Like, those are the only people that they've run into. Then give us the blonde ones. And then you get the blonde hair, blue eyed cross country runners. Um, (laughs) Well, I wanted I want to go back with the purity in the reaction of like what what do you mean this is this is just our law but I read something more insidious into it because of the reaction of these mediators and because of the the stuff that they were pushing and because of the randomness of the locations I almost believe kind of answering what you were asking a second ago Carissa that this is imposed on them that they destroyed a lot of themselves and killed all of their people who were different than what we see. And then this guardian came in and put a structure on top of them so they would stop. And now anytime there's an outsider, the reason they don't tell outsiders the law is because it's easier to kill an outsider and make an example of them than it is to kill one of your own and have to lose population. But it scares just the same. Sure. Because they do mention that like ignorance of the law does not like excuse you from punishment. Yes. So that's very blatant that they're like that they deliberately don't tell people. And it's like, well, it's not my fault. You didn't know that I'm going to kill you anyways. Though no. that is a caveat in most Western legal systems. Western legal systems waste, based in white supremacy. Right. right. That um, ignorance of the law is not a defense, which is absurd that if you don't know what the rules are, how can you possibly know whether to follow them or not? Right. And yet it seems to be the case even in our supposedly advanced society. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's absolutely the case. That's why we need reform yeah. so badly. I, I felt like this was such an interesting example. Brian Stevenson, who's one of my heroes, he um, wrote the book Just Mercy and the film, and basically all about capital punishment and how unfair our system really is. And, like, you know, we grew up, I grew up, like, law and order, dun, 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 you know, like, everybody gets a, an attorney, and the first thing you find out is like, no, not really. Also, immigration, how that's being handled right now is so not fair. And there's a lot of like, sorry, you didn't know, but we're going to go ahead and take your family and keep you in jail and then deport you later and um, just because you didn't know. And so I don't know this, that, that whole part to me, that was the greater conversation that I was kind of having with the episode was like those that justice, you know, because it is still the, that is happens to people right now in our country. Yeah, it does. Like when justice fails. Right. Mm-hmm. Or when justice is mistaken for just saying because I say so, because you have power. Which is really only good with parents. Amen. Shout out to the parents out there. That elf on the shelf seems to have a lot of power. <laughs> this is what I've heard. <laughs> Let's dive in a little deeper with some truth and justice here. We're talking about the idea of punishment in this episode and what is appropriate to punish with and is death appropriate is a big question here because he does just break some glass over some flowers, you know, and was like it even glass or whatever it is. Yeah. It, it might just yeah. be paper yeah. over it, whatever that was, but like, really? Yeah. It gives me very Trayvon Martin vibes. I'm not going to yeah. lie. Um, in the sense of you have this kid who was just walking home yeah. with an Arizona tea and Skittles and walked in front of the wrong person's house and lost their life for it. Right. 
but the law protected the man who shot him because stand your ground because apparently he posed a threat of some sort. Um, so in cases like that, no, it doesn't make any effing sense. No, not at That's all. That's just me. <laughs> no, that is a perfect example because it was just as arbitrary. Right. We live only a few minutes from where all that happened yes. and it still boggles my mind. Yep. Ugh, just crazy. Yeah. But, but you're right. I think that this episode does a pretty good job of creating a set of extremes, lots of extremes. The extreme behavior of this very hedonistic, pleasure-based society where right. their punishment is as extreme as it can be for completely absurd and random acts against rules that nobody really knows. Do you think they make the rules so arbitrary so that the people can do whatever they care to do? Because it's not like they're really restricted as individuals. There's not rules about behaviors or how they should and shouldn't conduct themselves or with whom they should and shouldn't conduct themselves. It's just this random fence at certain times. So do you think in some way that's giving them freedom? I don't know, because one of the things that they don't explain is if there are any other rules. Have to be. They seem to say that there aren't. Does their hedonistic behavior extend to, well, if I don't like that guy and I stab him through the heart with a, a knife, <laughs> but if I happen to not be in the right zone at the right time, I can not be punished for that because right. that's not random. That was on purpose at, and specific. So there must be other things that we right. just don't know about, but their fear of this random thing seems to be what they're saying keeps everybody in line, in line, which... I don't believe for a minute, <laughs> at least not with the humans that I've met. But these aren't humans. Well, okay. But I mean, they're obviously meant to be human-like. Right. But I think that just ties back into what Kent was saying about them using it to sort of weed out people. Because with the zones changing, you're able to say, oh, well, this zone isn't designated anymore, so it's fine. You can break this law in this area now. This law isn't a law anymore. It's okay. Riker says, when has justice ever been as simple as a rule book? So even the rules yep. in our own country, they're so complicated and so layered that it makes it, whether it's another country or our own or another species, it makes it really difficult. Justice is this really convoluted thing. It is. There's no absolute. And I know a lot of people that because something's a law, then that is why we follow it. They don't even ask. Right. I mean, there are a lot of people right now in this world. They're like, well, it's a law. So we have, you know, it's not like, did you know that that law came into place to stop these people from getting to do that thing? Like there are so many. Like redlining. Yes. Like, yes. yes. And stuff just changes just to, just to block. Whoop. And it's not hidden. No. That's the thing no. that's also crazy. Like it's right. Like we're not taught it in school either. Right. No. Right. That's the problem. Okay. We can't go past this episode without talking about the Prime Directive again. Yeah. I really feel like this episode is a lot about the Prime Directive, and it's about it from a lot of different directions. You know, as Picard says at the end, and this is what brought it to my attention, is because uh, Carissa quoted Riker's quote at the end, but right before that, Picard says, life itself is an exercise in exceptions. And it's important for us to know that because the, the prime directive is one of these things that we keep talking about as being an absolute, and it's not. I mean, it, Picard so much has said, everything has an exception, and some things, like leaving Wesley Crusher dead on this planet, is something <laughs> that we're just not going to do 
whether we're breaking a rule or not. Well, and the fact of the matter is they broke the prime directive to come down this pl- to this planet to have a conversation about whether or not they were going to break the prime directive to rescue Wesley from it. Because <laughs> this is not a society with warp drive. They should never have come here. Right before Picard says life itself is an exercise in exceptions, he says that there can be no justice as long as laws are absolute. Mm-hmm. So... I think that's kind of the whole point is that justice is not about laws that are absolute. Justice is yep. about way more than that. And it's not black and white. It's gray. It's very, it's very gray. And I yeah. think that the episode also gives us an example because this entity that is in space obviously doesn't follow a prime directive. At some point it came along and found this planet that was in turmoil and decided to interfere or intercede in some way. And where they've ended up is with this odd pleasure, hedonistic kind of planet with these extreme rules that worship this entity as if it were God, which is one of the things that the prime directive is designed to try to avoid at all costs. So I think it, the, it does a good job in kind of approaching this from many different directions to show both what exceptions are possible and also what could happen if you, you know, if you do go too far. Let me, let me ask us to apply it to our world a little bit um, because that's what we do in this truth and justice area. We've got, there's clearly a large group of people who is getting peace and tranquility out of the action of let's kill everyone who ever commits a crime on this planet. The bulk of the Edo people live a good life and they're happy with their life. But these people who are the sacrifices of that are sacrifices of that and they're being damaged. And that is a few people. So the needs of the many are overpowering the needs of the few. And I feel like we exist with that in our world today right. because there's a certain group of people who's afraid of other people and enact laws and measures of quote unquote justice mm-hmm. in order to mitigate their fear that then causes death and destruction to mm-hmm. other people. You know, the book Chokehold, which is all about the history of policing, mm-hmm. and it basically started right after slavery ended white people wanted a certain way to live and they wanted a certain bubble to stay maintained and so the american policing system was kind of it worked for the good of that goal it's really eye-opening on how some things were set up Mm -hmm. um and it's very sad to me um that it's not we have not moved far enough away from where the roots of some of that has started in my opinion a lot of work to do I think most people are so interested in their own comfort and well-being, and so they're not willing to educate themselves about the few who don't fit into the majority and how the few are suffering. And so I think because of our own desire for pleasure and advertisers work really hard for us to want Mm -hmm. to fulfill that need of joy for us or entertainment or you know the holidays are here so what are all the holiday fun that you can purchase and be a part of and so that helps us to ignore those who are hurting who are hungry sex trafficking victims abuse victims we we don't see these things because we're like oh yay happy day pleasure so i think we're we're not far off from the Edo people seeking pleasure and hedonism 
instead of looking to our brothers and sisters around us and saying, oh, wow, mm -hmm. you really are hurting and dying and suffering. And, and I'm really ignorant to that fact because I'm I want to see what's on Netflix this week. Good point. Let me push us into a different topic here in Truth and Justice, which is the topic of consent. There's a really weird thing that happens right when they beam down to the planet with Counselor Troy, wherein this man just walks up to her and puts his face all over her. And I think that that's icky. Yeah. Even though at some point, it, Leotar says this, our rules are simple. No one does anything uncomfortable to them. He's also the one that puts his face on Troy without permission. And so yeah. what is that? It's, it's almost like, <laughs> I mean, that was comfortable to him. So he did it. Right. It's there's that disconnect that I'm not I'm not asking you to do anything that's uncomfortable for you, but I'm going to do something to you. Like that's different. Maybe I don't know. That kind of disconnect it seems a little weird. I I think it's similar to if an introverted person walks into a house full of extroverts, it is highly likely that they could end up getting hugged without being asked permission <laughs> because the the people doing the hugging. Just don't even think about it. It is their way of being. And I think that's what the Edo are in this particular instance. And then when they see the discomfort, that's when Leotor, whatever his name is, says, you know, nobody has to do anything they don't want to do. But you're right. The moment was icky. And um, I think actually, what's interesting is he doesn't notice her discomfort. He noticed Wesley's discomfort. And that's when he said, oh, that's right. Nobody has to do what they don't want to do. He didn't notice the woman's discomfort. Yes. Just pointing that I out. I also think we need to talk about how she was not the first one touched. It was Riker. I think he had already been touched. Yeah. They, oh, <laughs> like they. Yeah, I think we're meant to assume that every single person who went down to that planet had had sex. Oh, with that's why Tasha it. was like, bring it in. Well, <laughs> did you see Tasha's reaction? Tasha was she all was about like, that hug. Yeah, but you know what? She, was she like, didn't look all, she hug. just looked, I'm... it didn't look sexual to me the way she oh, was reacting. Mm -hmm. the... Yeah, she looked mm -hmm. like she was just mm -hmm. right. Well, while we're talking about this, can we just talk about war for a minute? Because. <laughs> Yes, I must please. restrain myself too much. I was just thinking they're quite that. fragile, <laughs> sir. <laughs> well, there's a certain amount of what Worf represents in this that is definitely ogling without permission. It's yeah. putting someone in a situation they don't want to be in. It's yeah. Th there was just like this moment of like fetish. Oh my gosh, I can never say this word. Fetishization. <laughs> Fetishization. You know what word I'm trying to say? Yes. Of Worf. Yeah. Where like one woman even goes as far as to say like, oh yeah, I bet he knows how to love or something like that, which just made me feel really gross. Yeah, that is gross. There's like hypersexualization of like black bodies right now. And that just reminded me of that. Like we've encountered this kind before and this is what they're good at. They didn't you know pick I mean? the smallest, blondest women on purpose either. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. It just, it was just, it was just, I'm like, man, I thought we got past Code of Honor. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, he wasn't in that episode. So they had to like revisit it. And he okay. didn't want to be in this one, I don't think. He was like, what is this place? We have more than just the one moment of consent issue. We have the unsolicited entrance of the alien onto the Enterprise. Right. And then we have Picard telling Data to bond with it however he needs to in order to make contact with it, which could be dangerous. And right. Picard doesn't know. And then we also have the notion of what is uninhabited you know where did they put that colony world down you don't know what that colony is going to 
cover up. You don't know what that Earth colony is going to do to this Edo colony. You don't know how this Edo colony is going to take over that colony when the Enterprise leaves. And all of that is circling this question for me. Right. That was the most interesting part about the consent to me is that, I mean, I know that they talk about the fact that if there is a, if they're putting a colony somewhere that the planet is uninhabited. I mean, they, they have the ability to check to try to be sure that there's nobody else on the planet before they a colony goes there. And and yet this is the first time that it, it, it comes up that I'm aware of that there are other planets nearby. And over time, you know how humans are. They're going to, you know, likely end up with space travel because that's just what we do. We we advance. But so you're right. I mean, you not only need to consider the planet itself, but you need to consider the system. You need to consider what else is around that could be affected by us putting a group of humans, because humans were like a virus. <laughs> well, the only thing you can hope for is that through this experience with the this entity and Picard's experience with it, that, you know, maybe they learned a little lesson about that, that they can apply to colonizing in the future, future you know? Yeah. Um, because actually the very last thing that he said was, I was hoping we would learn more about it, Mm -hmm. you know, when the Mm -hmm. entity left. And even though we don't see them go back to that colony, they could certainly communicate with it and say, be aware, there's some other folks nearby, keep to yourself. Mm -hmm. I I hadn't thought about it in those terms, Kent, but I I did think about that whole situation. Right. Um, Before we move through the wormhole, does anyone have anything truth and justice that they wanted to bring up that we haven't covered? I just wanted to talk from a mother perspective that Picard chose not to tell Beverly Crusher about her son. Mm. That was very hard to watch as a mom. Why would Picard not tell Beverly that her son was in imminent danger of death for an ignorant act that he kept that information from her and treated Wesley as if he was just a member of the, of, you know, he's just a member of what we're doing. He's not and like, you know, uh, Troy tries to bring it up and he, she's like, we're not going to talk about it yet. We're not going to talk about the boy. I just, that was really hard. I felt like. Yeah, I that- felt that way at first too, Carissa, about Picard excluding Beverly. And then I kind of checked myself because I was like, you know what? First of all, he was treating her like he would treat the medical officer on on his ship. Sure. Um, and she didn't need to know at that point. Um, and then second of all, as he as we moved through the story, it became apparent that he was valuing Wesley's life. He was like taking care of it. Right. Her inter- interceding on his behalf was Difficult. not really necessary at that yeah. point. But but I definitely am with you. I felt like, well, this is another example of don't tell the mother. Well, Christina, as a mom, wouldn't you want to know? Yes, of course I would. That's why I was thinking that. I'm like, oh my God, please. Are you kidding? Of course I would want to know. Absolutely. But looking at it objectively, would it have helped for me to know? No. Can I trust that he had it under control, which he did? And then can we talk about the moment when she said, if he was your son, you'd be afraid? Yeah. And he said that he was because... He is Picard's son. <laughs> Bing down go. <laughs> Becky, that was for you. Yes. yes. <laughs> Way to be. Way to represent. Um, I, I respond to something that you said, Carissa, in your 
opening statement, which is that he's just trying to treat Wesley like everybody else yeah. on his crew. And he wouldn't call anybody else's mom because they're in trouble. So why would he call Dr. Crusher? He's treating Wesley like an adult. You know, he's treating Wesley like he's a member of the team. He sends him down there. I just agree with Christina's sentiments that like, yes, I would want to know. But at the end of the day, I know that it wouldn't do me any good in a situation like that. And it would actually be better for it to be withheld from me, uh, for me personally. Like I'm not, I'm not Dr. Beverly Crusher. I don't, you know, I don't operate the same way she does. But I know that for me, if I hear my baby's in danger, it's F whatever the else is going on. Right. I'm going to go I'm there. I'm going in guns blazing. And, that, and that's mm-hmm. it. She did do that. She went right back into his office and was like, I am done with all of my duties today. And you saw, I thought it was wonderfully played. She was very calm, but there was a storm coming. I'm about to go did. get my baby. And he jumped up. He said, I, I bet. And me too. Let's go right now. <laughs> and I, you know. <laughs> but for me, um, I, it wouldn't be but like all of my duties are done. It would be like, F your duty. F your rules. <laughs> F this. Yeah. We're going to go get my effing son now. Like, that's what Absolutely. it would be. <laughs> so. I like that it has a lot of F bombs too. That's I love it for taking us into the wormhole because there's something I think important happening inside Beverly Crusher. That struggle is huge, I think. She like, with Reva, she puts it all away. She like stifles it with him in the hallway and she doesn't tell him to, you know, F off and do whatever she needs to do to rescue her son right now. And then she treats Data. And then it's like a couple of hours have gone by and she finally comes in and says, I've done everything. So that's a lot of some kind of fortitude or some sort of restraint. Restraint. Yeah. Yeah. But see, she does that even when she gets down to the planet and sees him. She wants to run to him and just grab him. Yes. But she doesn't even. Yeah, she stands back. Yeah, you could see all of that happening in her face. Yes. There's a lot of grace, like a lot of eloquence. There's also a lot of training. Yeah, that She received the same kind of training that all the rest of those officers did. And you got to figure that there's some pretty tough psychological training along the way of how to deal with really bad situations so that you don't make them worse. Military training. Military training, but then also there's a step further that you're having to do to put some pretty powerful biological instincts into a box so that you can do your job. Yeah. That is pretty immense. Which would probably be something that they would consider. Maybe, yeah. I mean, if they consider that it's important to have a counselor on the ship, then they probably consider that for those officers who are parents and who have spouses on the Mm -hmm. ship, that they need to deal with that kind of problem. Put that somewhere else. Ahead of time. So that people are capable of doing their jobs. Sure. Because if people don't do their jobs other people might die as well that's why you need backup yeah but also i personally think that everything about beverly crusher that makes her an excellent mother is what makes her excellent at her job i don't think she would be half the doctor she is if she hadn't had wesley you know i think it forced her to become and i think that the death of her husband forced her to become the woman she is she's been through a bunch of pain well just like we said before we're all sort of a sum of our experiences and stuff and and stuff (laughs) (laughs) um another little wormhole topic here is the mediators talk about it, then uh, Leotor talks about it 
in various moments there's that there's that line that he has where he's like you think we're barbarians and we are because we kill people and we're backwards um so what do you guys think about the morality in this play i was impressed with wesley i think wesley was put in a very fascinating situation and he seemed to be maybe one of the most in control of um he could find his words and he was like you know this i don't know i thought i thought that was just really interesting because um that would have been a really i think difficult scenario to be placed in right down to the in the end when um picard explains what's going on and says basically saying we're going to take you because that's we're going to break the prime directive and and wesley was like no sir I do have a say in this and I don't think you should do it. Right. That was the bravest thing that anybody yeah. did in this episode. Absolutely. I half expected Wesley to like back away from everyone and say, no, me too. Like I'm staying, like I'm making this decision. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's also like a, a big thing too. speaking about like consent and things like that, like self advocacy where you're like, no, this does concern me. I'm going to be the one to make the choice in this decision. Sorry, not sorry. It's out of your hands. Appreciate it, but mm-hmm. it's, it's about me right now. So <laughs> the mediators, they, they have to feel bad about what they're doing. I mean, they say that it pains us deeply to do what we must. Are you prepared for your punishment? So they must have some kind of moral wrestling themselves with this edict that they must kill people who violate these strange laws. But the way that they say it to me sounds very like, you know how you have a script that you say when you're when you're dealing with like customer conflict, it feels, I'm sorry you're experiencing technical difficulties, blah, blah, blah. And then you put them <laughs> on hold for 20 minutes. And like, that's what it felt like. Cause the way that they tried to do it was to keep the execution a secret from the right. person, which was yeah. also interesting to me. Yeah. Me too. But how often do we see people like, you know, online comments or just in conversations when somebody breaks a law and something like a bigger punishment happens I can't tell you how many times those people say well they broke the law if they would have just not broke the law then it you know maybe they wouldn't have died or what I mean people literally almost have that it excuses the behavior yeah it breaks my heart because I'm like breaking the law doesn't mean you should die yeah you know yeah I've, I've had to check some people like in my own circle for having that mentality because I I don't know if some of my Caucasian friends realize that I am black or not I don't know <laughs> if that's a thing some of them will say things like well you know if black people would just obey the law and then when I tell them like I was minding my business and got choke slammed to the ground by a police officer right they either go that couldn't have happened or the look on their face is just like a pure shock and I'm like right see see how when you say stupid things, <laughs> way to call them on it. But also, how lame is it that you have to personalize it to them? Right. It sh- you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It should just be, it yeah. doesn't have value. But like, it yeah. just warps my brain. That's why I didn't really feel for the mediators in this situation. Like, I didn't really feel for any of the, the Edo people in this situation because it felt just so very nonchalant like this is the law and if you don't break the law then nothing bad will happen to you it sounds like really bad facebook posters yes yes it does. <laughs> <laughs> i didn't feel bad for the Edo at all in fact i didn't buy their argument at all right i mean these people that came from from somewhere else broke a rule that they didn't understand and know what it was and as a result of that lack of understanding they did not get punished and they left the planet 
it's not going to ruin hundreds of years of conditioning on their planet and everybody's not going to start you know wantonly running around jumping over white fences as a result of that jumping flowers right that argument was ridiculous i was like you guys are just following a rule because it's a rule mm. it is dumb and you're following it because you like to run and play <laughs> yeah because yeah. that's what happens when you run too much there we that's go that's right and when you have too much sex. Oh, no. <laughs> no, that's not right. But it is interesting because they are aware of themselves and yet they're choosing to still do it. Literally. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I said I do mean... it right after we talked about sex. <laughs> Bingo. Sorry, it's Friday. I yes, no Friday, Nicole. Friday, Nicole. <laughs> it oh, leads to a question that I have because those three kids that Wesley plays with, one who is the hairiest 16-year-old I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> he is. <laughs> yeah. Holy. But anyway, um, it, it, these three kids have a real moral quandary with it. And they're standing there and they're saying, he doesn't, when Wesley falls in and the mediators come, they're like, he doesn't yeah. know our yeah. law. You can't do this to him. Do we think those kids are going to change this society? Right. As always, it's the kids. It's the young people that hopefully. are like, mm. yeah, hopefully. Especially because they've had this experience. Yeah. What do you think that they did when they thought that their God allowed them to leave? Well, it's got, it, it ends with that great line. Seems like the Edo Lord agrees with you, number one, which Picard played the whole thing, right? He spoke directly to them. He communicated directly with the guardian of the Edo. He knew that they were listening. And then he does this exchange with them. Riker chimes in then they let him be him out. And he's like, we tricked you. But yeah. he's not saying that. He's letting the Edo exist in where they existed because the prime directive says that he's not allowed to interfere with a culture he knows is backward but mm -hmm. why <laughs> great question you've Kate. already interfered <laughs> by being here these people right. didn't know you before right. they thought this thing in the sky that's a spaceship is a god which is wrong you know it's just a spaceship full of people and troy tells us that it's multiple people data tells us that it's multiple people you know it's just another spaceship picard knows that picard treats them like just another spaceship and then he lets them stay this way because prime directive because prime directive i think maybe he had messed up too much uh, so he just was kind of like we're gonna sneak back out of here and just kind of backtrack it yeah back it up and we got wesley and let's learn back from it our up, back it up. <laughs> they're not a perfect yeah <laughs> yeah well i also think that he also made his point to the entity you said he he's speaking out loud and he did and the ito heard him right but it was a small group of people and they may or may not pass that information around who knows but the entity who is ruling over them and or at least watching over them did hear and if it has control over their behaviors it's possible that some of the things he said may have an effect on on this weird law of the Edos or, or the, the way that they apply it. Well, I thought it was interesting because it kind of leads you to some of those questions like, does God evolve? Does God change? Can God learn? And, and um, the faith I grew up in questioning that stuff or doubting or wondering almost seemed like you weren't supposed to do that. But like for me, on my journey, I don't think God's afraid of all of that stuff. Right. And for me, I think the answer is yes. So I thought it was interesting that there was like this really cool dialogue and between i know it wasn't actually god it was a spaceship but the representation <laughs> of um <laughs> it is terrible yeah, yeah yeah 
you know, because that one quote that got me was like, there can be no justice so long as the laws are absolute. Um, and it was like it, the God figure was presented with that idea when he when, when Picard said that and was like, oh, obviously changed it. It's his mind. Yeah. So I didn't think of it like that, like God evolving. That's cool. Right, yeah. I found it interesting, you know, from a spiritual standpoint, the, 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 the Edo saw this entity as God or as godlike and treated it in that fashion. But there didn't appear to be any actual spirituality of any that I would recognize as spirituality going on in the episode. They simply had a set of rules that they either established for themselves or that the being gave to them to, to you know, get them under control. They seem to be afraid of what it can do or would do to them if they misbehave or break rules or whatever. But right. It was kind of um, Old Testament. Mm, yeah, you know? but yeah. The, yeah, there doesn't seem to be any personal relationship to the universe or, or themselves or anything. Uh, any, but does that have to be a part of spirituality? Does a personal relationship have to be? Or could it be the, could it be the reverence that they give it? Because there are a lot of religions where the far offness of your God is the spiritual, the spiritual crux of your faith. So not all of them are that Christianity, I have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. It could be a further off in your God is and you're working towards attaining, becoming more like God or that that distance of your humanity and his is that spiritual place. Right. But I'm not talking about a personal relationship with the God figure or whatever it is. I'm talking about some sort of these people seem very simple seem very not thoughtful, not in touch with the universe or anything around them. To me, spirituality is largely about our relationship with ourselves and each other and the universe and everything having to do with that. It's not about religion. It's not about, those are things that get imposed upon spirituality and including all of the rules and regulations that go along with it. It becomes about rules and what happens to you if you break them. And let's face it, an awful lot of religions espouse capital punishment. You know, you follow their rules, you say, I believe in this, or you go to hell or Hades or somewhere not good. (laughs) Um, And if that's not capital punishment, yeah, I'm not sure what it is. I have one last spiritual question to sort of bring up here. It's not I don't know if that's necessarily a question, but we see Picard give his comm badge to the Edo woman, Riva, here. And when he takes it off, he realizes that he was a jerk to Data about babbling, and he calls Data in. He and calls him a friend. He does. I he love does. that he, moment. He says, you see things in a way we do not, but as they truly are, I need help, my friend, which yes. is beautiful and not the way he approached Data earlier. He says, you babble too much. And then it's true in that scene because he babbles so much that Beverly Crusher tells him to shut up and go away. (laughs) He literally yells, shut up, and she leaves, you know? So, like, we see Picard gain some spiritual reflection there, but what about Riva? Well, she the first thing she did was decide that Picard must be God. Mm -hmm. So maybe she's more like Mark's right. They, They don't really have as much of a spiritual life as much of a spiritual world as we do they're not maybe they're not capable of it Mm -hmm. which is why they just kind of blindly follow the um 
entity in the sky without really thinking about it. Because once you start to really think about it, that's when you need more than an entity in the sky. Yeah. There's a moment where Counselor Troy in the background is having a conversation with a couple of them on a bench and Riker's talking to Worf and she's like, so there's no jealousy between you guys? Is that what she said? Yeah, she asks about jealousy. Well, because she's like, I'm jealous of Rikers, so let's talk about this. That's right. Lisa, she's your girl. Do you want to talk about Deanna Troy in this episode? I mean, I just, I wanted to see more of what she would be like in a situation like that, being so empathetic. And I wonder, like, why she didn't pick up on any false niceties earlier, like when we were just, when we were discussing, like, the mediators and how... They seem kind of flat and all that stuff. I wonder why she didn't pick up on any of that stuff. Said several times that they're so open. This is this what you see is what yeah. you get. She did say that a couple of times. So, yeah, honesty almost to a fault. That's almost one to, of the yes. things she said. Like she was just smitten with them. I felt right. That's probably um, a good place for Deanna. She's like, man, yeah, I can actually rest here. I don't have to deal with everybody's yeah internal. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Good observation, Christina. Honesty yeah. lets an empath relax. Oh, mm. I like that. It would let us all relax if we were more honest with ourselves and one another. Yeah, <gasps> more honest. Yes. Do you guys want to do some blessing? Yes. <laughs> Mine is another bingo card check off. So go ahead. I just said very simply to all the moms who care as deeply for their children as Beverly does for Wesley. Aw. Yes. Bless you. Bless you. That's good. Nicole? I also have a lament too. But um, my blessing is Beverly Crusher. And just that we could all have the grace and patience that she seemed to summon up and probably one of her life biggest life crises aside from losing her husband i mean that had to have been an insane moment and she just exhibited so much patience and grace so thank you beverly and may we all find some of that and um my lament is to those mediators mm. there can be no justice so long as the laws are absolute so we gotta fix that thank you yeah um i guess i can go so my blessing comes from Wesley Crusher, um, and it is for all of the young people out there who are growing up and they're discovering feelings and awkwardness and all of that stuff. Now is the time for you to learn what your voice is and how to use it. It's oh. great. So my blessing is ditto. <laughs> ditto. ditto. Nice. Ditto to what Nisa just said. <laughs> Yay. No, I was just really... Um, inspired by Wesley's bravery in the end. He did really seem like he was willing to stay and be executed for no good reason, just for the sake of what he felt was right. So that was an inspiration. Mm -hmm. My blessing came from the God entity. Oh. And it, it's got to do with that last moment. So I said, uh, may we learn to see past the rules and embrace the exceptions, even if they don't conform to our normal expectations. I love that. That's good. So the place where I sort of land is to want to bless Picard because of that moment with Dr. Crusher, where she says, if he were your son, you'd be as frightened as I am. And he says, but I am. And we joke a lot about the 
unspoken Picard is Wesley's dad. I mean, it's fun to joke about, but it's not in the story. Like he has a dad and his dad is Jack Crusher. Right. And Picard in this moment says, but I am because all of these crew members are his children and all of these crew members, especially Wesley, who's taken an interest in matter to him. And I think that that's beautiful. And I just feel like we should treat everybody as if they're important all the time because everybody is good. That's great. I love that. So good. So true. That's our show today. Yay, we did another one. Thank you, Federation, for doing this one. Nisa, Christina, Carissa, Nicole, and Mark. And we miss you, Becky. And uh, thanks, everybody out there, for listening. We uh, could not do the show without you. Please rate and review, like and share, subscribe to Sacred Track. It really does help the show to grow and be successful. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Sacred Track Podcast. If you like what we do here and want to help us keep making the show, you can go to patreon.com slash lastmidnightproductions and help sustain us. You can also send an email or voice message to sacredtrek at lastmidnightproductions.com or sign up for our newsletter at lastmidnightproductions.com slash sacredtrek. Thanks again for joining us today. We will be back next week with episode eight, The Battle. Until then, stay safe stay healthy, wear a mask, and go with love. For Sacred Trek and Last Midnight Productions, I'm Kent Altman. Live long and prosper. Last Midnight Productions.